Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 150, and today we'll be chatting with David Hyman, the co-founder and CTO of Purple. David is originally from Gothenburg, Sweden, but came to the US for school. Having always been more technical, he instead focused on the business side of things. After graduation, he took on several sales roles to deepen his skills before joining a development studio called Infinity One. There, David really learned the ins and outs of product management and operating as a lean startup. David is now working on his own company, Purple, which he helps launch by working with Rebecca Harris. Originally a long content format website dedicated to political news and information, Rebecca and David noticed that people, especially their peers, didn't seem to be connecting with the content they were creating. So they reimagined the format and discovered that SMS and messaging apps were a more popular way to share and engage with their audience. Purple was then accepted into the Techstars New York Accelerator and continues to grow its reach as a platform. David joins us to share his story, how he started his career in tech, some of the most valuable startup lessons he learned while building products for other people, what it was like going through tech stars, why messaging is such an engaging medium, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at Hack2Start. Drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, David. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, guys. Pleasure uh, to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler and I are super excited to have you on, you know, to get to hear more about your story and what you're currently building with Purple. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Sweden, a town called Gothenburg, Sweden. It's the second biggest town in Sweden and studied in Los Angeles at USC. So I decided from like a relatively young age that I wanted to come over to the US to go to school. I have a bunch of relatives over here. And at some point they got in my head that it was uh, the education system here was superior. And then they kind of stuck with me over the years. So I went out here to California, went to school at USC, studied uh, business. I guess we can get into this a little bit more later, maybe, but uh, I was a tinker of since an early age, like to uh, work with software, but also hardware. I built like model trains with my dad. And so I kind of, I think 18 year old me was a little bit naive and thought there was little point in going to school for computer science. That's something that you could probably learn on your own. So I kind of wanted to figure out like, how do you start a business? What does that entail? And so I focused on entrepreneurship at USC and that was an interesting experience. I'm not sure if I would redo that today. If I went back in time, I probably would tell myself to study something more technical or even maybe like philosophy. But yeah, that's kind of a little bit about my background. That's awesome. So, you know, you've mentioned that, you know, you're a bit of a tinkerer. So where has your passion for technology and sort of startups come from? Yeah, so I come from a pretty nerdy family. My dad, I think he still has like an unboxed Apple II in the basement at oh, home. That's He's, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I've always been surrounded by computers. My uh, my mom is a computational linguist, so she introduced me to programming at a relatively young age. And I, was, I always had access to technology and just going, sort of growing up in that environment. It was like the natural extension for me to do. I was always very curious. And the ability that computers give you to just kind of play around with stuff and build things was always very enticing. And so I was drawn to that at an early age. And I think startups follow kind of naturally after that. If you're a self-starter, if you like to build things, then it's natural that if you can, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do for your career, for work. If you can even call it work, sometimes it feels like you're just doing what you love, playing around building things. That's probably what I would do if I, no one paid me to do it anyway. But yeah, I think it followed me from, from a very young age. So it's pretty much just a natural extension of what I was doing as a child. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And so how did your, I guess, career in tech or, or just career in general, how did that start? What were some of the first few jobs you had after school? In college, I had I worked throughout all four years at USC. I, I worked for the football team, and then I worked for 20th Century Fox. I did like story analysis for them. And then going out of college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work at a startup, and one of my mentors, my cousin, he's the CEO of a company out in Boston called Bison. I was talking to him, I think senior year, tail end award, and uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to go into. I was looking into consulting, and he kind of floated the idea by me to just go and get some sales experience. His point was that if you want to, and I think this is a great advice for anyone, if you want to build a company, people sort of undervalue the ability to, to, to make a sale or to just kind of do the nitty gritty work of building a company. So I went out and I got a sales job at a company called Patexia. It was an early stage startup on Santa Monica. And uh, that was super helpful. I was doing 70 cold calls a day selling uh, crowdsourced patent analysis to patent attorneys, which sounds pretty dry, but it was, it was really interesting getting into the nitty gritty of that. And I think having to sort of cold call attorneys might probably be one of the tougher crowds to do like a cold sale towards. So I, I learned a lot about believing in the product and also just how important it is in sales to understand the need of your customer. That's really what it's all about. And I think having gone through that is sort of the best way to learn it. Yeah, absolutely. Some great advice. I'm glad glad you brought that up because I think as your cousin pointed out, a lot of people undervalue the skill set that it takes to make a sale and really understand the client uh, right from the get-go. Right. Yeah, I think it's part art. I think a lot of people focus on the art when they think about what sales is and they think like, oh, you know, I need anyone to teach me sales. But there's a lot of science to it as well. And with practice, you get better and just doing it over and over again and then just honing your technique, making cold calls and then listening to yourself is a super enlightening experience. I know that's something that probably is like on the bottom five things of what people like to do is sort of make a cold call and try to sell something to someone. But it's a really useful form of like self-discovery, which I think if you have the opportunity to do it or if you're sort of coming out of college and you're not sure what you want to do, trying that out, getting in that mindset, I think is really valuable no matter what you end up doing in your career. Definitely. And so from there, you then ended up joining another company called uh, Infinity One. So can you tell us more about that company and sort of, you know, what led you to joining the team there? Yeah, so Infinity One was started by a good friend of mine in college, Hassan, and it's basically it's a development shop that builds mobile apps for early stage startups in LA. And I'd been talking to Hassan a little bit about what he was doing, and I was kind of explaining to him that I sort of had an itch that I needed to scratch, sort of getting my hands dirty and building products again. Doing sales clearly wasn't going to be my career. It wasn't something that I wanted to do long term. And I think one of the things I learned about myself is that I'm probably much better at whatever work it is that I do if I really if I'm doing something that I really love. And and, uh, and sales cold calling really wasn't that. And so I was talking to him, kind of floating this back and forth. I think it was at a Super Bowl party at some point. Um, and he was saying, you know, hey, why don't we try it out? Come you know, try a couple of projects with me. And it was kind of really like a soft start. And I think a lot of the time when you need, when you just kind of want to make a change in the direction you're going or when you want to try something new, figuring out like a, a low friction way to sort of test it out first is really useful. Um, and so we did that and then that ended up working really well. We ended up building a couple of uh, apps together and I worked there for, I don't know how long I worked for them maybe like a year and a half or something like that two years but my time at infinity one was great i think one of the things that you get to do especially if you're working at a, a development shop focusing for early stage startups is figuring out what it is that really defines growing small products and that might sound a little, a little undefined maybe but it's, it's like especially if you're working on your own startup sometimes it's hard to just take yourself off the mindset of looking at like the literal features and then separating that out and saying like okay i've got something that does x but like what is it really solving for what is what is the grand 
vision of it and what need is it addressing in the market. And so we had to do that over and over again for a bunch of different people, people we worked with, but even people who came into us and tried to pitch us something or try to explore working with us. We had to sort of always figure out like, what are they really trying to do? Because a lot of people came in with like a sheet, like a spreadsheet of features that they wanted to build. And I think having to like work with someone from that point to get to like an actual product that they can get to a market is, is super interesting. Definitely. So I know you've just kind of lightly touched on that a little bit, but what were some of the biggest lessons you took from that experience, especially in terms of, you know, wanting to start your own company later on? Yeah, I think the key thing was really like focusing on the value. Early stage companies in general, I think a lot of people repeat sort of the same mistakes. And, and, and I guess it's an often repeated cliche that you kind of have to learn them yourself. And I think in some ways, building apps for early stage companies for other people sort of helped me and kind of like allowed me to skip some of that, I think. Specifically going back to kind of the point I was making earlier, but just really understanding and focusing on like the value of what you're trying to solve for. And also like figuring out how to build like an iterative process, sort of like applying the lean start startup model to product development and figuring out if you have an idea for X, what's the smallest thing that you can build today that could lead you to X in the future that like gets you in that direction. So just pointing the ship the right way and then developing learning points throughout that process to where you can then iterate your way to a product that solves a real need and that, that people really want. We have to do that over and over and over again. And so getting to learn that firsthand with other people's ideas and products, and then just like understanding how to communicate that to them, like to, to stakeholders was an extremely valuable experience. I think, you know, you can replicate that too, if you want to, like if you're, if you're a developer, where you can go out and freelance and help people who are building early stage companies. It's also a great way, I think, to get your career started or to sort of like build your portfolio. A lot of the time you won't get paid as much, obviously, as you would if you were working on like a bigger at a bigger company. But in terms of like growth potential or return on investment later on in your career, I think it's extremely valuable to sort of put yourself out there and figure out the nitty gritty yourself. And then in some ways, I think the early stage company, early product market is really interesting for that specific reason. Like there's no obfuscation in terms of like whether or not it works because you're putting something out there for the first time you're testing it with real people and if it's messed some somewhere in the process if something gets messed up or if the idea wasn't right then you're going to find out there's not it's not like in a big company where if you build a product for someone who maybe that's their passion project or maybe it's just gone through like 300 rfps and uh, sort of made its way down through some committee a lot of the time you won't actually get immediate feedback on whether or not it worked or didn't but in like a very early stage startup process that feedback is immediate it's extremely useful if you're attentive to it you know for sure so today you're the co-founder and cto of purple a messaging centric media platform so can you tell us a little bit more about Purple and what it is today and what motivated you to start it? Sure, yeah. So Purple, as it is today, Purple connects content creators to their audience directly through messaging. And what that means is we have a platform that allows people who create content, mostly journalists today, uh, reach their audience directly through Facebook Messenger and SMS. And so what we've been seeing is that there's this gap in terms of information dissemination, where you have like Facebook and Google for information that you're getting passively in your life. And then there are things that are more personal than that, that are reserved for more important content like podcasts, uh, newsletters, your Twitter feed, but sort of at the lowest level of the things that you really care about the most, there's nothing that really solves for that. And so we think the way people use messaging today uh, is really the natural medium for that content to live. And how we got started was my co-founder, Rebecca, and I, we were sort of tinkering away a couple of side projects back when I was still at Infinity One. Rebecca was building a blog called Purple Politics, where she was covering the 2016 election. And uh, I was helping her do some, some dev work on that. We built like an 18,000 
and Ward Explainer on the Affordable Care Act. A lot of things that mostly we know we were passionate about them, but also we saw a need in the market for better information, especially among our peers that weren't necessarily understanding these issues that were clearly very important to their life and their future. But what ended up happening was a lot of our friends ended up not reading the newsletter or the blog and still texting us and saying, hey, can you can you explain you know what the Affordable Care Act is again? Or what does it mean when they talk about premiums? And so it was getting a little, you know, we were getting not, not frustrated, but confused because we were like, hey, we're, we're writing about this. Maybe we're just presenting this in the wrong format. And so we did an experiment. We had uh, we set up a Google Voice number and covered one of the uh, debates, you know, with primary debates, Republican primary debate, and told our friends, hey, text this phone number to sign up and we'll send you live updates during the debate and we'll explain what they're talking about and we'll send you a summary at the end. Just kind of trying it out. And then we had 50 people get on immediately and then quickly grew to 100 and 200 and then Super Tuesday came along and we suddenly thousands of people wanted to get this. So kind of grew organically from there and then we you know, took a step back and we were looking, okay, what is this solving for? What's the interesting thing about this? And how can we enable more people to communicate in this manner and, and build something that can allow all of the, the Rebecca's in the world to communicate directly with their followers? That's really interesting. So through that early, you know, user experience session that you've had, is is that why you landed on messaging? And what is it about that medium or that format that you find so interesting? There are a couple of things that are really fascinating about messaging in general. I think the first thing is it's just like extremely personal, especially text messaging and SMS. If you think about who you text or who you communicate with via SMS on a regular basis, or even who sends you messages, it's your, your siblings, your parents, maybe your grandparents, your best friends, or your closest circle of friends, maybe some work friends, but kind of like that's it. It's very personal, it's high touch. And I think that's a big part of why it's so valuable. Uh, clearly, like, the interesting part about that is the more you sort of allow non-friends and family to get into that circle, the less personal it becomes. So there's like a dilutive property of it that's pretty interesting. But I think that's why we think it's it's so valuable for the right type of content, for the right type of content creator for any person, whether that for some people might be someone like, like Tim Urban from Wait But Why or like Ben Thompson Mr. Techery. But yeah, the personal touch to it or like how personal it feels when you receive a message is, is, is something very specific to messaging in general. And then, you know, there are other like sort of natural properties of it that make it really attractive to dissemination of information. Like it's real time, probably for SMS, definitely you have push notifications turned on. And so as long as that doesn't get abused, it's really valuable for you to be able to get communication directly through that channel. And then it's also very low friction. And I think this is a key part to what allowed us to be successful early on is that in order for people to try it out, you didn't have to start by downloading an app or, or going to a website or figure out what it was. You could just text a phone number and you were on there. And, and it's kind of contradictive in some sense, because the point I made earlier was sort of about how personal it feels and like the, the right person has to be there for, for you to sort of appreciate it or for it not to dilute sort of the personal feeling of it. But when we first started, the people who were texting us didn't, I guess the first 50 to 150 people probably knew us. But then after that, like they had no idea who we were, but they invited us into their phone and they loved it you know they started kept coming back people would be getting hundreds of messages a month and they were super into it and so it's it really interesting i think if you use this medium in a way that is similar to how you communicate with your friends and family it's it's really really powerful you know that's really cool so what is your vision for purple and how do you approach managing the product roadmap to get from your mvp state to that goal a big part of, of what we see, the world is sort of going from being organized around these big 
brands, um, like whether in journalism, that's the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, or in music, you know, that's the, the record labels or whatnot, to the individuals themselves. And, and I think that is sort of a transitive property of the internet, right? You democratize information, all of a sudden, the influencer nodes in that network are able to carry a lot more power themselves. And so we think sort of enabling for that in the future and, and building a place where anyone can create and distribute their knowledge is something that needs to exist. There is some like glaring issues with information distribution today, especially like if you look at how the ad models sort of driven content to become very focused on quantity over quality, where you sort of force people who are trying to get into the business of writing to just write a lot to be able to generate any significant money. That's highly problematic. And so creating an, an outlet that solves for these issues is, is tremendously exciting for us. And, and we want to enable a world where, as I said earlier, like anyone can create and distribute information and be heard and they don't have to fight through a bunch of noise and also, you know, make money from it and sort of like actually monetize that relationship that they build with their followers. In terms of the process of building that, I think going back to what we talked about earlier with the lessons that, that I learned at Infinity One, I think we use a highly iterative process. You know, it's, it's always important to sort of keep in mind like where your North Star is, but then on that road, constantly stopping and then looking ahead and seeing like, okay, how can we, you know, make a simple version of this now that can grow into something big later? Like, how can we basically like be putting bricks into what can become a huge castle in the future? But like, what's the most important thing that we can build today that can lead to that outcome? Maybe that might sound a little vague. It's hard, I guess, to uh, generalize that process. But I think it's really important to just be thoughtful and always keep in mind, like, if you're making decisions today, what are the potential repercussions of those decisions 5, 10, 15 years down the line? And trying to, you know, really like deliberate, I guess, in terms of like what you choose to build and why and then listening to your users i think that's that's something that messaging also brings to the table that i didn't bring up earlier but we have a direct line of communication with all of our users at all times which is like a super powerful competitive advantage if you use it right you can just <laughs> send a message <laughs> to someone you know and ask them what they think about it and and that's something that we've always valued too and then just talking to people in general and understanding their behavior and i think just paying attention to the world around you seeing where it's going and trying to always think from like a first principle standpoint of if like you're solving for this problem today, ignoring sort of all the baggage that comes with previous solutions, like what can you put in the world that will solve it the best and how can you create a better future? You know, that's great. So talking about users a little bit. So how did Purple initially approach growth through this new medium? Early on, to be honest, the first thousand users was all word of mouth, maybe even 1500. It was, I think that's another power of, of the medium itself. People would get messages from us and then they'd be sitting next to a friend and sort of do like the hand-to-hand -hand combat thing where their friend would ask them like what's that and be like oh this is thing purple and them a text message and you get on there and then their friend would do it and then they'd stick on and that's kind of like how we we got the first cohort of users and beyond that what we really started focusing on what we realized is the nature of the way we created content was all centered around these events we'd like distribute daily updates and we'll talk to people about things that are going on in the world at all times and that's like all part of the platform. But when we were growing initially, uh, we saw these huge growth spurts around things like Super Tuesday or global events that were occurring, whether those were like attacks in Europe that we were covering live and helping people understand what was happening in real time or presidential debates or the election itself. Like taking advantage of natural behavior, I think really worked well for us. And then leveraging sort of existing social networks, allowing people to share the content that we were creating to their followers and then enabling like that mechanic to like come back to us where people could 
create shareable versions of things we were sending out to the platform to then funnel like their friends back into Purple was has been super useful as well. One of the things that we did earlier on was sort of going down and defining like in terms of content, what do people actually care about? And one of the things that we talk a lot about is this idea of like a miserable like water cooler moment. It's different for anyone, but basically it's the thing that you'd want to hear if it happened today, because tomorrow when you're at work, people are going to be talking about it at the water cooler. And if you hadn't heard about it, you're going to feel left out or you're going to be bummed or you just wanted to know because for you, like that's something you would have wanted to bring up at the water cooler. And so finding like those things for different groups of people, things that people really care about, and then leveraging that to funnel them into purple by like covering those things or by providing that information is something that's been really useful for us. And I think for any business, I think content is always a useful way to like drive growth. You know, that's awesome. It's great to see this such, you know, the organic growth of, of Purple. So Purple, uh, you know, was a part of Techstars in 2016. Uh, so what was the application process like? And what was it like just going through this startup accelerator experience? So we went through Techstars in New York. There are a bunch of Techstars programs. I don't even know how many of them they have now. But um, we went through the New York program and uh, it was a tremendous experience for us. I mean, I think the value that one of these accelerators can provide, not just in terms of advice, and also like stamp of approval. It's a little bit of what they do, right? They like lend you credibility. But beyond that, I mean, just the network, the people it puts you in front of and, and it's sort of like the audience that it allows you to start pinging to help grow your business, help you make decisions is invaluable. And I think a lot of people undervalue that. When people start a business, I often hear people tell me things like, oh, but oh my God, I don't want to give up 6% of my company. But I think it's really important to understand at the end of the day, like 94% of a huge company is a lot more than 100% of a small company. And the acceleration that you get going through one of these programs is, is massive. In terms of the application process, I think for us, it was a little bit different. We were referred to the program by one of our friends, Sarah Adler, who is the co-founder of Spoon University, who had gone through the program previously. So she put us in touch with Alex Siskold, who's the managing director of Techstars New York. And we sat down with him, we talked to him, sort of asked him for feedback before we even applied. And he was like, hey, you know, I think you guys should apply, put an application, we did that. And then him updated, engaged Alex in discussions back and forth, asked him for feedback about the business. And, and through that, it became more of a natural relationship that developed. And by the time he asked if we wanted to join the program, it was like, self-evident to us that was a great idea because we'd already been leaning on Alex so much for, for help. And I think if you're looking to, to join one of these programs, I think that's one of the things that I would emphasize the most is figuring out like a way to get in front of one of the decision makers, putting a face to your name and talking to them and, and leveraging the fact that a lot of these people, especially in sort of the early startup scene are just enablers, right? They're What they're excited about is helping companies grow. And so a lot of them are very accessible. And I think if you take advantage of that, you you can give yourself a huge competitive edge through the application process. You know, that's really cool. Like all the guests that we have on the show who have been through, you know, this startup accelerated experience, they say nothing but good things about it. And we actually had Sarah on the show uh, a while back. Oh, great. Didn't know that. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, for sure. So what's next for Purple? Yeah, so we're really now starting to open up the platform to more people. We have like the first four creators on there that aren't us on there right now. All right, we're about to roll out some new channels over SMS. And so we're really looking to find people who 
either have an existing audience that they would like to connect with more intimately or, and maybe even monetize or people who feel like I really like writing or really like talking about this topic, but I don't really have an outlet and, and allowing them to sort of create a channel where they can start talking to people. And so that's the thing we're focusing on right now. We're just really heads down getting 50 people on there and then growing the platform. And, you know, I know you guys probably put my Twitter bio or something in, in the description of the episode. If anyone who's listening to this feels like they're interested in trying it out or creating content, distributing content on purple you know send me a tweet or, or email me david at getpurple.io and i'd love to talk to you awesome yeah we'll definitely link uh, to your twitter profile to the get purple homepage, and uh, now people have your email address too so they can just uh, reach out directly so besides purple are there any cool apps or tools that you've downloaded and really loved recently in terms of things that I've downloaded recently, one of the things I'm, I'm the most bullish on is Hardbound. Have you guys played around with Hardbound? Yeah, I have. It's amazing. I love Hardbound. Uh, Nathan's such a great guy too, but I'm a voracious reader. But then lately, I think I, I just feel like I, I can't squeeze in as much time as I'd like to read. There's always something else that I'm reading. I'm always reading like six or seven books at the same time, I feel like. And so just being able to expose myself to more interesting interesting books and like trying them out on Hardbound has been fantastic. I'm super excited about the new direction going in and then the other one that i've been getting a lot of use of lately is airtable have you guys tried airtable i have I, I've, I've set up an account i did one spreadsheet and then i, I kind of stopped from from there but i've heard you know nothing but good things about it yeah i don't know if it's like maybe it's you need to be like a certain type of personality to really like it because it's kind of like the idea in itself is pretty dry if you think about it it's like databases building your own databases for anything i, I mean i use it with <laughs> i use it with my wife we have like a an airtable for like recipes that we like to cook and I just like put all of our recipes in there because I constantly like going back and forth. I'm like, I'm sick of these email threads going back and like trying to find that like recipe I sent you a month ago because I like to cook a lot. But then just putting stuff like that into an Airtable sheet been tremendously useful too. And then the other one that I've been, this is not a new app, but there's an app called Pop. It's like prototyping on paper. I use that a lot for developing. I use just like creating quick mockups. It allows you to basically just draw out on paper screens for a mockup and then like link them together with buttons by just taking pictures of them. It's super, super uh, useful if you're a product developer. Yeah, another great tool that I actually have pop on my phone and, and I also use it a lot. It is great to just kind of make that quick little prototype and, and kind of get it in the hands of, of real users. Right, right. That and like Envision. I mean, I think the level of amplification that apps like that do for people who build products is like hard to even like wrap your head around sometimes. But mm -hmm. just being able to, like you said, do something quickly and then put it in the hand of someone who might use it is so invaluable. Seeing how people react to it is great. Yeah, exactly. So do you have any recommendations on just like great content that you come across lately, either a book, video or a blog post? Probably, actually, most of the people who listen to this probably are going to have read this by the time we talk, we, this comes out. But the latest Wait But Why piece on uh, Neuralink, making my way through that right now. I, I recently listened to a podcast where they, I didn't, do you guys listen to Waking Up by Sam Harris or Waking Up with Sam Harris, I guess? No, um, I haven't cut that one before. I, Sam Harris is a, is a neuroscientist and philosopher and he has a podcast where he brings guests on. And, and one of them is recently was talking about the, the singularity and sort of highlighting how the singularity is sort of like a techno religion for geeks. Which kind of broke my heart a little bit because part growing up, <laughs> one of my favorite books was The Singularity is Near by, by Ray Kurzweil. So tying that back into this Wait But Why blog post, kind of talking about the idea of connecting.
connecting the brain to the internet of a brain computer interface uh, and just like increasing the bandwidth with which we can communicate with computers is, is tremendously exciting and so that's a really really good read if you have time to make your way through a 36,000 word blog post which is a challenge in and of itself and maybe like that's why we need the Neuralink but that's a really good one another a good podcast that I've been listening to lately is uh, the Partially Examined Life it's a podcast on philosophy where they could examine different philosophers and their canon and then sort of break down pieces that they've done it's also super fascinating absolutely those are some really uh some really cool topics and and resources that we'll have to go uh, definitely link to and, and i'm personally gonna explore myself <laughs> actually let me, i one one more plug there's this uh newsletter called breaking smart i saw this through the social capital newsletter social capital has a great newsletter that they send out weekly and then one of them they had this little graphic done and they were featuring breaking smart that's people who have done that graphic and it's it's really cool it's like i don't even know how to describe it they, they basically break down ideas or topics but in like a tweet storm form so they like break it up like it would be a tweet storm and it's all sort of based on research and highly interesting topics I'll send you guys a link to I'm sure you guys could find it. Put a link to that. That's actually been one of my favorite newsletters too. Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome. And uh, we'll definitely make sure to include that so everybody else can find it too. Sweet. So maybe just as, a, as I guess the way to wrap up all the conversations that we've had, you know, from building small prototypes and, and learning about startups to jumping in and building your own and using messaging to get, you know, that live feedback from users and, and help better communicate and explain really complex issues that, you know, a lot of us, unfortunately, are paying attention to. Do you have any, I guess, last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? Yeah, so I think I talked about this a little bit earlier when kind of addressing the idea of, of thinking about problems in really long time horizons. I think people overvalue present rewards or gains, sort of undervalue long-term gains and time in general. And, you know, Charlie Munger talks a lot about this, this idea of uh, thinking about everything as if it's like uh, an index fund, right? Like if you put a little bit of money away over a very long time period, it's going to give you significant rewards over at the end of the day. And so compounding interest and long-term rewards, I think, apply to most things in life. So when you're making decisions, whether about that's about a product or about your own career, taking a step back and just thinking about what can you do to put yourself in the, in the best position to, to gain on a very long time horizon is super powerful. And so that's one of the things that I, I use a lot in my life to make decisions. The second thing is kind of like thinking about life, like kind of like a video game, just trying to take things a little less seriously it's easy to kind of get caught up in like the present day what you're doing and then the importance of decisions that you have to make today and sort of get in your own head and get anxious about potential repercussions of things but at the end of the day i think one of the key insights that can really help you propel forward in life is trying to is understanding that everything you use on your day-to-day -day, whether that's your iphone your computer or technology on the internet is built by other people just like you and the, the only thing that's stopping you from doing those things yourself is, is like your own mindset so realizing that everything's accessible and that life sort of works similarly to how a video game works where you can just get out there and do it if you want to and just take advantage of opportunities in front of you is something that I try to remind myself of on a regular basis but it's, it's also easy to sort of get caught up and take everything a little bit too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to put it then. It's, it's always important to remember that, you know, you can get up and get out there and do it. You just got to get out there and do it. That's the hard part. Right, right. <laughs> David, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you like what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week. Thank you.